Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you want to start a podcast but you don't know how? I didn't either, but let me tell you. If you ever heard about Anchor, that's the best way to make a podcast. When I tried, I must admit, I was a little bit skeptical at first, you know. But then, then I heard, when I heard it was free, I didn't think it would be this good, okay? Let me tell you. It's so good. Because there's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You don't even need to deal with the headache of thinking about how to publish on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, because Anchor will do that for you. They use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so many more. If you can, if you want to make a living from your podcast, when there is no minimum listenership required, so this is the place. So if you want to start a making a living of a podcast, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. You can download the free Anchor app or on your Android or Apple phone, or you can go to Anchor.fm to get started. Use Anchor for the, for your to make your podcast experience the ultimate podcast experience. We are live. Hello and welcome. Oh, yes. Uh, are you Erland? Uh, That's correct. That... From uh, Norway, aren't you? Correct, yes. I'm not... I just you, do a can quick... you hear me well? Yes, sir. I can hear you very well. And I'll just, let me just do a quick introduction first. Oh, tell me um, one second, one second, please. No problem. Can, uh, because I don't hear you well. I, I oh, okay. I, uh, here one second perhaps to have it better no i hear you very well thank you very much for coming okay could you speak please no problem you hear me Uh, one second please can you hear me yes i hear you very well okay let's see now okay then i i hear you because i put my my okay so yes uh, my guest today, forgive me if I say your name wrong, is is Professor Dimitri Kitsikis. And I just wanted, I'm just curious, how did you get into history and uh, why the Byzantine Empire? Well, I have to tell you that first I'm uh, a Greek, as you know. Yes. I, I come from a upper class family, Greek, that is internationally known that um, uh, I have roots uh, in Italy, in Egypt. In Italy, there's even one of my grandfathers that uh, is a count, mm. Daniel Count, all of Greek origin. 
I have French also. In fact, my mother tongue is French and Greek, but mostly French. I'm a French. And so, especially from Cairo, Egypt. And so, at the age of 12, a young lad, I was sent to a boarding school in France. And there I stayed as a French citizen. Mm. Did you enjoy it? Yes. Did you enjoy living in France and uh, what made you stay? What do you mean enjoying? <laughs> I didn't enjoy uh, it. It's my country. Yes. Uh, in, uh, you like it or not, like you in Norway. So, in exactly. any case, uh, so I grew up in, in France. All the, I went uh, into University at the Sorbonne. I took my PhD uh, in uh, propaganda, international relations, international relations and geopolitics. And uh, my uh, <clears throat> PhD was on uh, international propaganda. And uh, it was published uh, in French by the Sorbonne. Uh, and also translated into Turkish, into Greek, uh, about, uh, in Greek, it's about 800 pages. Wow. <laughs> a, a big PhD, yes. Uh, so uh, then um, I, uh, I started teaching in France at the Sorbonne and uh, at the, uh, by the way, do you know any French yourself? Uh, not, not having mathematical well, uh, in any case. But... Uh, the, I, I uh, was a researcher at the CNRS, uh, the Centre National de la Recherche Scientifique. And uh, now, 1968 was uh, uh, the big event. Let's say the revolt of the students and uh, also the teachers. Everybody uh, went into the streets and we had uh, the uh, surge, the revolution of May 1968. And there I took part as a Maoist because uh, in between uh, I was going to China uh, every uh, year about because my family was very much uh, in, in this, uh, with China at that time, uh, China was not recognized right. as um, everywhere in Europe. It was, was, this during Mao's, was, it Mao, was this when Mao was in power in the Communist well, Party? Yes, yes. When, so what, what my family, my father and my mother, uh, that were communists, uh, my father was uh, an MP, a communist MP and the leader of the EDA party, which was the communist party about in Greece. Uh, he uh, and my mother especially founded in uh, 1956, 1956, 1955, 1956, uh, the uh, Greek-Chinese uh, association that was extremely successful. Uh, in Athens, in Athens, Greece. And since then, she was going all the time to China. 
and she was uh, in personal relation with uh, Chairman Mao Zedong, with the Joint Lai, with all the leaders. So I was then a young student at the Sorbonne. I was born in 1935. So uh, I went uh, for the first time because of my mother. They sent me to China in 1958. I was just 23 years of age, French, but okay. And I met with uh, President Mao, uh, with Joe Lai, with all the leaders. I became a staunch Maoist. Then I went again uh, during the Cultural Revolution. I supported the, the students. And in 58, I organized a, a Maoist group. Uh, I, we went down in the States, and the result was that I was thrown out from the university, from the Sorbonne, because of uh, my participation in the May 68 uh, movement. Right. So what was the first? Had, yes. What was the first impression of meeting Mao in person? Yes, certainly. Certainly. I was number, <laughs> with my mother, with, we were number one in. Uh, Greece in the relations with President Mao, and yeah. also it, it was, uh, the Chinese said we were the most successful in Europe uh, for our relations with the top leaders of China. Right. So, uh, so I was told, and then uh, I had to find some job elsewhere. So I sent my CVs in different places, especially uh, for French and English languages, because these are the best languages I knew. And finally, I received uh, a, uh, <laughs> a very good uh, answers from Canada, from Canada. And I like very much Canada because there were the two languages. Right. One uh, from Ottawa, one from Montreal, the University of Montreal, University of, uh, of Ottawa. So I was. Uh, I went to the embassy, to the Canadian embassy, asked for an immigration status with my uh, offer of job. As uh, in fact, I was promoted uh, to uh, immediately by the Canadian from assistant professor to associate professor, uh, as uh, I had very good. Uh, from the point of view, not of ideas, but of uh, from my uh, colleagues in the Sorbonne, uh, I had very good credentials. So I was promoted to associate professor right away. And uh, I went to the embassy in Paris. I said, there we are. Uh, could you give me a visa, immigration visa for Canada? So he said, okay, but you have first to go through an examination by the RCMP, the Canadian uh, FBI, if you want. And right. okay, I said, uh, ask me questions. <laughs> ask me questions. Are you uh, this or that? Uh, do, what do you intend to do in Canada, etc.? I said, uh, okay, I'll be a good boy. They said, uh, well, we know exactly what you did. We have... Uh, in front of us, uh, your dossier, so don't try to say no, no, and no, we know. Uh, I said, okay, so you won't give me a permission. 
They said, no, no, because uh, we need people like you, we know you're a good one, and um, we'll give you. But one thing, don't start a game, they said. I said, okay, I won't start. Right. So I, in order that you, uh, you, you, give, you give me uh, confidence, I have two uh, propositions here, the two offers. One from Montreal and one from Ottawa. Where do you want me to go? If you want me, tell me. They said, I know not Montreal because you'll start a gang. There are dangerous people there. So go to the capital, to Ottawa. I said, as you like. As I was a European and uh, I uh, always liked capitals, even though in North America, it's not the capital that's the most important. Montreal was, and Toronto was more important. But in any case, I said, oh, yes, you want Ottawa. Okay, I'm going to the University of Ottawa. So they gave me the permission. They gave me uh, the visa. And this is how, in 1970, I uh, came to Canada with my family. I had to find a a job for my wife, who was a British uh, woman. Uh, And I was very lucky because... She was in neurophysiology, and I found for her, too, at the University of Laval in Quebec City, uh, as associate professor, too, a job for her. She became associate professor at the same time in Quebec City. So we moved the whole family. I had two children at that time, and uh, there we were in, in Canada. Now, when I started teaching at the University of Ottawa, they said, you'll teach, uh, oh, you are a geopolitician, you're a historian, Europe, uh, you will start, uh, you will uh, start uh, teaching European history. I said, European history? What's Europe? I said, uh, they said, well, most of them, they knew because uh, Canada was English and French, just uh, England and France. That's I said, that's not Europe. That's not only Europe. We have uh, Eastern Europe too. Nothing to do. They had nothing to, they didn't understand what Eastern Europe was. They thought uh, Europe right. was just uh, France and England. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, look, I, I want, I, I accept to teach Europe, but first thing, uh, because of my knowledge, uh, I will teach Eastern Europe. And what I mean, I will teach uh, our empire. They said, well, your empire? What empire? I said, uh, the Roman Empire. Oh, they said, Roman Empire? The Roman Empire in the Middle Ages? I said, uh, the Roman Empire that you falsely called the Byzantine Empire had never, never existed. The, the, the word Byzantine Empire, I don't understand what you mean. He said, how do you know yeah. understand? Take a book and see the history of Byzantine. Yes, I said, I know that you Westerners call falsely the Roman Empire, you call it Byzantine Empire. But this, as you should know, but you don't know, is that in the 16th century only, after the demise of the Roman Empire, that was in 1453. Right. After the demise of the Roman Empire in 1453, a century later, 
a German historian uh, called it completely by himself. You know, we historians like to, to bring new words in order to be better known. And he called the Roman Empire Byzantine Empire because of Byzantium. But I said, right. if you had asked a uh, emperor uh, in uh, Constantinople that he was a Byzantine emperor, he wouldn't understand. He would say, what do you mean? I'm a Roman emperor. Yeah, because the, the Eastern Roman emperor still looked There's at no Eastern, as That's also a big mistake. You have to understand that we have that the whole history as it's done in the West, it's fault. For number one, right. number, it's completely false. There's no Eastern Roman and not Western Roman. There's only one Roman Empire. And if you allow me, I can start now telling you why right. the Roman Empire, the ecumenical Roman Empire, ecumenical means world empire. It was the world empire, ecumen, the world empire. This world empire started, uh, exists in fact, up to 1923, 22, wow. 1923 AD. Today, I did not know that. And started in the Persian times, even before the 5th century BC. So we have a history of the empire, whatever it was called, the empire, the ecumenical empire, the center of the world, the center of this planet, the center of the world, it started in the time of the Persian kings, Darius, for instance, and it continued through uh, the Macedonians, through Alexander the Great, through the Hellenistic period, through the so-called empire in Rome, in old Rome, in Italy. Then it continued with Constantine the Great. It just changed religion, that's all. That went from this ecumenical empire that started by Zoroastrism, because the Persians were the Zoroastrians. Then it continued through Alexander with the Greek religion of Olympus. Do you think that Constantine the Great was the cause of the fall of paganism in the Roman There's Empire? There's no paganism. We, we, it's an insult to say paganism. Paganism is was was said uh, by the Catholic Roman Catholic Church in order to as despicable to the other religion. There was the Greek religion of uh, Olympus, and uh, right. So uh, you know what. Uh, uh, what means, uh, uh, how did you say? I didn't even know that. Uh, paid, paganism? Peasant. I don't know. That if is peasant religion, pagan. Pagan right. in peasant. Yes, no, it's not pagan, it's Greek religion. And still, Greek religion today is strong in Greece and elsewhere. You know, there are supporters of, uh, of this Greek religion. People yeah, want I heard to that. go to the Parthenon. Uh, and I tell you, because everything this is my personal experience. When I was just uh, 13, 14 years of age uh, at the school, in the boarding school, my professor, uh, my teacher of history, he said, you are Greek, huh? Oh, wonderful. Tell me, write me uh, a paper on how 
you went up the Acropolis to pray to the goddess Athena. Oh my goodness, I was just 13 years of age. I didn't know. In fact, I've never been to, at that time, I've never been to Acropolis. Uh, but right. I, I, what I did, I took uh, two, three uh, books uh, from the library, and uh, I read about the Acropolis and the Parthenon, and I wrote a, a paper for him. But he said, look, now, you are Greek. I said, yes, I'm Greek of origin, okay. You say, you know, they, they all called me at school uh, a son of God. I was a hero because of Greek. Mm. So they said, the professor said, Tell me your own experience, how you went up the Parthenon to pray to the goddess Athena. I said, I don't know. I have, <laughs> I'm supposed to be a Christian Orthodox, I said. Christian Orthodox. Right. So he couldn't understand. And why? Because we are not pagans. We are, the Greek religion is still very, very strong today. Not that we have anything against the Christian. I'm a Christian myself, a Christian Orthodox. And certainly right. the so-called Roman uh, Byzantine Empire was Christian Orthodox. But now, why is it that in the West they have completely and on purpose completely deformed history? It's, it's a myth from number one to number. It's completely a myth. Why is it you, you use the word Byzantine? You use the word Eastern Roman. Well, there was only one Roman Empire. The judge changed the capital. It's because right. the barbarians, and you know that because you're Norwegian. Uh, right. it's, it's not a bad thing to say barbarian. When I went to the Sorbonne as a student, my book, history book at the beginning, it was said, Le Barba, it was the official book that we had to read for the 7th century, 6th century, the arrival of the barbarians in Europe. That's say the Germanic, right. the Germanic people, generally the Germanic people, uh, then the Vikings, etc. And they were called officially at the Sorbonne, they were called barbarians. It was the Dark Ages. Now, as you know, in the 19th century, because of Romanticism, they said there was no Dark Ages. No Dark Ages. Uh, it was the Middle Ages, which had a lot of big uh, civilizations, etc. Okay, there was, everybody has a civilization, but still it was the Dark Ages. Yeah if you compare to the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was in Constantinople. Now, this, if you want to, how did I start uh, teaching uh, the Byzantine Empire, which is, was not Byzantine, the Roman, is that in 400, I want too many dates and too many names because that's not the reason, the, that you can find in any dictionary. Uh, the, the gist of history is important, not the dates and not the names. But in any case, as uh, you know very well, in 476, the barbarians, the Goths, uh, that invaded yeah. Italy, 
they uh, took over Rome and they said, the Western history says, that the Roman Empire was ended. It was not ended. Just one arm of it was taken over by the barbarians, by the Goths. And Rome fell, but Constantine the Great already, a century before that, he understood that the barbarians would come and he had taken his capital uh, from Rome to Byzantium. The city was called Byzantium and it was the afterwards it was called the New Rome. And he gave his name, Constantinople, to Rome. But when right. uh, the barbarians took over the Rome of Italy, that was the end of, uh, let's say, the Western arm of the empire. It was not the end of the Roman Empire, not even, there was no Eastern Empire. It was only the Roman Empire that just had changed its capital. And you know probably that uh, it was yeah. a habit in the empire to have sometimes two and three emperors that were fighting right, each other. Yeah. And finally, Constantine, he was uh, intelligent enough <laughs> at that time to become Christian. Now, he didn't become Christian, he just used the Christians there uh, to... Uh, he was baptized on his death. Excuse me? Correct. He was baptized on his deathbed the day, the night, the, when Could he lay dying, he was baptized. Me, I think a little loud if you speak. Oh, sorry. Yeah, he was, when he, when he passed away, before, right before he was baptized in, uh, as a Christian, if I remember yes, correctly. Yes, question, tell me. Sorry, uh, no, if, if I remember correctly, forgive me, forgive me for this uh, Yes, tell me. Uh, and he was baptized. Ba no, he was not baptized. Before... It was uh, it, okay. it was only later that uh, the Christians said that at his deathbed he was baptized. He was never baptized. Oh right. He was never baptized. But it was for political reason. He was a big uh, one of the biggest uh, uh, criminals. He he destroyed his family, etc one of the biggest criminals, and when I'm discussing with uh, my, because I'm, uh, I think I, I'm very much a Christian Orthodox, so with my fellow, uh, let's say, uh, priests that are professors also, we were discussing if Constantine the Great was a criminal or not, and the answer of the priests was, that from the moment that he became a Christian and even an apostle, he, he is considered as the equal of the apostles, that he couldn't be a criminal anymore. I said, how he couldn't be? Read that history. He was one of the greatest, well, all emperors were criminals in any case, but he was especially a criminal. And he chose right. to become, to use the Christians because in his army, the Christians were particularly fanatical, and they, he knew that he could win through the Christians. That's why. That's the case. That's not, it's, so it was pro it was propaganda. Certainly, certainly. Uh, so, but because it's so so much, we have to say. I don't want to take uh, too much time, and even more than an hour, we have to come to the 
what you call the Byzantine Empire. So, right. uh, so Constantine uh, changed his capital in 330, let's say a, a century before uh, the end of uh, the city of Rome in Italy taken by the barbarians. And it was a very intelligent move because the barbarians were uh, in the north of Europe were trying to get all Europe in the uh, land. And uh, the best way to defend the empire was on the Bosphorus. That's why he changed. It was, it was a, a military decision. Uh, and he was right. So uh, Rome didn't, uh, didn't surrender because the capital was moved to uh, Constantinople, to, to the city of Byzantium. He, he completely transported the Rome because the Romans didn't want to go to, to Byzantium. They said, uh, we, we are well here. Well, he said, don't mind. We will rebuild your houses, even the streets, everything. You will, you won't be, uh, you won't uh, think that you are elsewhere. It will. I will replace the Rome of Italy from uh, to the Rome of Constantinople, and you will feel very much at home. So we accepted, right? And uh, this is how uh, it was just a deménagement. They they moved to that. Now, once the Western arm was taken over by the barbarians, and we had a long period of uh, barbarianism, and then uh, from the time of uh, the German, not French, the German uh, Charlemagne, uh, that was considered by the Romans, let's say, Constantinople, not only a barbarian, they were just laughing. They said, well, he's not an emperor, this man. He, he lives in Aachen. Uh, he has a kind of, he's a peasant, uh, a peasant king, and he pretends to be, he even imagined, he even wanted to become an emperor. My goodness. So he went to, to Rome, right. and he... Uh, Asked, uh, he obliged the, the Pope. The, the Pope was at that time an Orthodox Christian. He, to depend, he depended from Constantinople, the the uh, the, the so-called Pope. Pope is just a title, like you say, Archbishop, like you say, Patriarch. Doesn't mean anything more. He was a Greek Orthodox Christian in Rome. But how much power did the Pope have during this time period? Look, I don't want to start. Uh, you, you've been already, you had that. So let's not repeat yeah. uh, the, the big fight uh, between the nobles and uh, the uh, and uh, the Vatican, let's say, at that time. No, I, I want, it's not a question of power. The... Uh, the center of the Roman Empire being Constantinople, there were five patriarchs. One of the patriarchs was the one in Rome that uh, had the title of Pope, but there was the other ones in Alexandria, in Antiochia, 
in, uh, in Constantinople, in Jerusalem. He was one of the five in any case. So uh, the, uh, he was, a, uh, up to then, he was a Greek Orthodox. And the uh, Charlemagne went and said, look, you have to, the first thing what he wanted Charlemagne was to go to Constantinople to get, to become emperor like the generals, uh, how did the, the, what was particular to the Roman Empire called Byzantine and Constantinople is that there were always coup d'etat. The generals, that's why there were so many dynasties. Uh, the generals were taking right. over and they were creating a new dynasty. So it was a question of who would take by force uh, the throne. So he knew the, the story and Charlemagne said, look, I go to Constantinople, I take over the power and I become emperor. There was no other emperor. There couldn't be a Western emperor. One was the emperor. It was always one. The emperor in Constantinople, the Roman emperor. But he couldn't manage. He didn't have, if you want, the guts to do it. But he had, he said then, okay, I will uh, marry, I will try to marry the widow of the emperor at that time in Constantinople. The widow didn't want of him. So he didn't have any choice for a man. He couldn't become the emperor because the emperor should be in Constantinople. So then he said, okay, I'll go to find the patriarch in Rome so-called Pope, and I will oblige him to make me emperor. <laughs> the Pope said, hey, one minute, how, how is it possible that you become, well, that one is the emperor, you can't be a gay. And he was the one that was worse than him, that was even more dictatorial, if you want, was Napoleon, when he wanted to become an emperor, instead of going to Rome and ask uh, uh, the, the, the the Pope to put uh, the, uh, on his head the crown, he took him by force in Paris, as you know, in Notre Dame de Paris, and he obliged the, the Pope to, to make him king in Paris, not in Rome. And even he took the, uh, the crown and he put it himself on the head. Imagine. At least poor Charlemagne didn't right. do that. He went to Rome and he uh, demanded from the Pope to make him emperor. Well, how could, what would he do, the Pope? He made him emperor. But a false emperor, ridiculously. Then, as you know, in the 11th century, since then, there was this hatred of uh, the barbarians of the Germans, let's say Germanic people, they were all Germanic, because the French also right. were Germanic. You know, French means uh, Germanic people. The only people that continue to call them Gauls, Gaulois, were the Greeks. The Greeks never right. called the, the French French. They call them Gaulois. Even today, in Greece, if you ask, how is France called? It's called Galia, the Gauls. So, yeah. they were Germanics. And, uh, but didn't the, yes. didn't the Germans start the Holy Roman Empire as so well? The Germanic Germans, or the Germanic, and then the Vikings too, uh, they, they conquered just the Western, the Western arm 
of the empire, you see. And then after Charlemagne, first thing, because of Charlemagne, there was this hatred against the Roman Empire. And they didn't want to call it Roman Empire because they were, they were said, Charlemagne said, I'm the Roman, I'm the Roman. He said, how, you, what, what, how is it possible that you are Roman? There's only one Roman Empire. He said, mm. yeah, but I went to see the Pope and he made me emperor. So he wanted to call himself Roman. But then there was a contradiction. And how would you call them the Roman Empire in Constantinople? So he said, no, it's not the Roman Empire. It's the Greek Empire. Now, today with nationalism, when you ask Greeks that the Byzantine Empire, the so-called Byzantine Empire, was, was Greek Empire, they said, oh, yes, certainly it was a Greek Empire. We're very proud we are. But the Byzantine Empire was never Greek. Nothing to do with Greeks. The only thing they had, and which was important, they finally, from Latin, they switched with Jusinian the Great to Greek. So the language was Greek because of Christianity. And also uh, the Orthodox uh, religion, Christian. But they were never Greeks. You, the, the emperors were all over. Well, Constantine, for instance, was not Greek. He came from today's Serbia, you see. So uh, they were Armenian emperors, they were whatever, they mm. were very mixed, they were never Greeks. But because Charlemagne wanted to uh, take for himself the title of Roman, he, in order to belittle the empire, he called it a Greek empire. It continued this hatred mm. of uh, the empire, the in Constantinople, when the, the Ottomans took over, and as you know, uh, the West up to the 20th century called the Ottoman Empire Turkish Empire, but they're never Turkish. The Turks, like the Greeks, were never part of the empire, were just part of the empire, but one of the people of the empire. And if later, because it was just a change of dynasty, when in 1453, uh, the conqueror, the Ottoman conqueror, that was from the dynasty of the Ottomans that were not even Muslim. They were Bektashi, Alevi. It was another religion. They were not even Muslim. And right. when he took over, uh, the Westerners didn't want to call it rather Ottoman or Roman. He was called Roman too, because the emperor in Constantinople in 1453, the Ottoman Emperor, the title, one of his important titles was Roman Emperor. Up to 1923, they, the Ottomans, when they disappeared, they were one of the very important titles was Rum Sultani, uh, Sultans of the Romans, Rum. Never. They were Romans. They were not right. Turks. And the Westerners belittled and all the maps that you see in the West, it says Turkey. They don't say Ottoman Empire, they say Turkish Empire. The same with the Greeks. Today with the nationalists in Turkey and Greece, they were very proud. The, the, the Turks say, oh yes, the Ottoman Empire was Turkish. The Greeks say, oh yes, the Byzantine Empire was, was a Greek. So the insult of the Westerns were taken today as a praise because of nationalism. 
Now, let's see. Right. Uh, so there was never a Byzantine Empire. There was one and only Roman Empire. Neither East, just as you know, under Justinian, uh, the emperor of Constantinople succeeded yeah. in reuniting the West and the East. He took over Italy again, up to Spain, etc., and then it shrinked again. But there was also a plague during Justinian's reign. Excuse me. There was also a plague. Spain. I didn't. During red plague, sorry, uh, no, no, uh, sorry, my mistake. Forgive me. Uh, a plague, a, plague. You know, a disease running around. Yes, correct. My mi- forgive me. There, certainly, there were many epidemics. Right. What's uh, what, why? We, we, if we start with the epidemics, we'll never finish. No, no. Let me tell me hmm. uh, because we have so many things to say. So, For, yeah. so For, what forgive I want me. to say is that the empire. The Ottoman, the, the, the ecumenical, this word is very important, ecumenical. Why? Because in the psychology and in the ideology of the empire, the idea of ecumen, that's very important. There's no other empire in the world. We are the, they said, the center of the world, the planet is the world, is uh, is the Roman Empire? What is outside are just uh, some seas with uh, some fish and some uh, barbarians there all over the empire, and that's why we're not imperialist. We don't try to expand because the whole world is uh, is us. What we do is defend against the barbarians. The barbarians that are the same level than uh, the. Uh, let's say, the animals and the fish uh, in the sea, you know, it's uh, outside the world. Right. It's another planet. It's an, 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 so that's the idea. Not so much Roman Empire, ecumenical empire. You see, you'll say, yes, but there's another ecumenical empire. Yes, but the, we, we, didn't, we didn't recognize. It was China. China also said the same thing. So in, on this planet, you had two empires the Chinese and the one in Constantinople. And both were pretending to be ecumenical, even though they had relations between them. And they had many relations, in fact, because through the Silk Road, they had relations. But they pretended they were the center of the world. There was no other. Okay. But there was no West. Now, now this you have to understand. The West didn't exist. There were barbarians somewhere in the seas, in uh, the places there, where uh, between animals and uh, humans, uh, that were these Germanic people, nomads, that had settled. Now, how is it that the West was created? The West was created as, and this is how I. I finally arrived to my theories, that is the theory of the intermediate region, that is now a well-known theory that has been accepted uh, by all geopoliticians, more or less, and that uh, allowed me to become uh, a member of the Canadian Academy. Uh, It's my big, if you want, 
contribution. It's uh, that's why I'm considered uh, an important geopolitician because of this theory that was established uh, by me uh, many many years ago and that allowed me to become uh, a that they accepted me at the Canadian Academy. Now, why did I think of this um, intermediate region? Because up to, now that's very important, up to the 15th, uh, to the 15th century, let's say to the fall of Constantinople, there was no West. No, the West didn't exist. Just didn't exist. They were the barbarians, that's all. How the West now was, uh, was uh, founded. I gave uh, an image. I said, from the planet uh, Roman Empire in Constantinople, it's like a planet, let's say a planet, because it was, they call themselves ecumenical, so it was a whole planet. There was no other, the center of the world. From this, there was a moon, a satellite, that came out from it and started going around the planet that was the Roman Empire. And this moon became more and more away from its center and became the West. So the West exists only since the Renaissance, didn't exist. There was no West before that. And this is the satellite, this moon, and how this moon was created. Well, when the Ottomans became more and more important and was taking gradually the, uh, the power in the Roman Empire, Byzantine, uh, much before 1453, in the 14th century, they already had taken everything there. Why? Because the barbarians had made the, in that there was so much hating the Roman Empire, they wanted to just steal everything. So they did, they destroyed the Ottoman, the Roman Empire in 1204, very important, the Fourth Crusade in 1204, with the money of uh, Venice. What was Venice? Venice was, was a, a part of the Roman Empire, so of Constantinople. As you know, Ravenna, uh, Venice was Byzantine, completely. The, the, if you go to Ravenna, you'll see that. And Venice was quite an important city as well, wasn't it? It was quite an important city. Yes, it was city. one of the cities Venice. of the empire, Ravenna and Venice. And then this hatred of the, it was a kind of hatred that the, that the colonies today had for the West, for the metropole, you see. So these uh, Venetians, they hated their mother that was in Constantinople. They want to destroy it and to steal everything there. So they gave the money to the uh, Christian, uh, to the Roman Christians uh, of uh, the West, of the Germanic people. And they started, as you know, 
from the first crusade, second crusade, third crusade, the fourth crusade. The fourth crusade, uh, financed by Venice, had, as um, they said, they should, that they want to destroy Islam, to take over Jerusalem, that were taken over the, by the Muslims. It was just a pretext, a pretext. Right. The hatred was not against the Muslim. The hatred was against the Christian Orthodox, against Rome. They want to destroy Rome, let's say, to destroy Constantinople. So finally they succeeded in the fourth crusade with uh, the families of Villeurbouin, mostly uh, the French uh, part, and uh, they conquered Constantinople. It's a the terrible destru destruction of Constantinople. It, the destruction of Constantinople didn't exist in 1453. There was nothing to destroy in 1453. The, the Ottomans didn't destroy the uh, Constantinople in 1453 because everything was already stolen and destroyed by the Venetians and uh, uh, the barbarians, Franks, the Franks. So in 1204, Right. They entered with, they, they said that they went through Constantinople to go to Jerusalem against the Muslims, but they stayed there in Constantinople. They destroyed completely the city. They stole absolutely everything because Constantinople is a great city of the world. A, a, an enormous uh, richness of gold, of everything. And they took everything, but everything, we say everything, it's like if you go into a house and you don't leave anything precious. And they took them and they settled in Venice. If you go to Venice today in St. Mark uh, uh, Square and elsewhere, everything is Byzantine. Everything. They stole everything. It's the greatest crime of humanity. And when now the Greeks ask the English to give back the Parthenon, and they don't dare to say to Venice, give back what you took from the Byzantine Empire. Why? Because Greece today is a colony of Brussels. And they don't uh, dare to say it. But in fact, the Parthenon, well, certainly the British were not right to take over the Parthenon marbles. But who took most of what is Greece today? <laughs> it's the Venice, the Venetians. So that's why there is a, a center of Byzantine studies in Venice, where uh, you go and study, have a PhD, etc., in uh, Byzantine studies, because Venice is the it's kind of second second Byzantine. It stole everything from there. Now, what is important to understand is that why did I think of the uh, my theory of intermediate regions? I said, okay, there was no West up to then. When did the West really ex uh, started to exist as a different civilization? Well, when in the 14th century, uh, the empire, the Roman empire was already occupied by the Westerners, by the barbarians. They, what they did is uh, that they wanted not only to, they had taken everything, but they want to change the religion 
of the empire. The religion of the empire was Christian, but Christian Orthodox, not Christian Catholic. So there was a big uh, concile in uh, two places in Italy in 1438, 1438 uh, in uh, Ferrara and in Florence, where uh, the Pope and the Western cities of Italy, they invited uh, the Roman Emperor, let's say the Byzantine Emperor, uh, that came to discuss the unity of the churches. That is to say, what the Pope wanted was to oblige the Orthodox to submit to the Catholics, to become Catholic. So, because at that time the Emperor was very weakened and he needed help, uh, he was under a kind of colony of the West, not of the West, of the Germans, the Germanic. So he went to Florence. He went to Ravenna, he went to Florence. And uh, uh, he discussed, he went, the emperor went with uh, some uh, uh, very knowledgeable people the, uh, of the time, and they discussed the unity of the churches. And uh, the emperor submitted because he needed the help. And he became Catholic. He changed his religion. He became a Roman Catholic. Now, between his counselors, there were some that signed uh, the, uh, this change, uh, the submission. It was a submission. But some said no. So they were divided. One very important of uh, the scientists that was in the group of the emperors uh, was um, Pliton, Pleton, that uh, was, in fact, his name was Gemistos, which means uh, full. But because he was, he wasn't, a, 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 he had changed his religion, he had become back to the Greek religion. He was not Christian, but uh, he, he was, um, but he didn't say it because it was dangerous to say you're not a Christian. So he pretended he was a Christian, but he had reversed to the Greek religion. And uh, because he, the great man that uh, he cherished very much was Plato, he changed his name and from Gemistos, which means full, he called himself Plethon, which is another word, Greek word, which means also full, because Plethon reminds you of Plato, Platon. Platon? Yes. Yeah, Platon, I can hear the similarity. Yeah. So he was the second Plethon, the second Plato. And uh, he was very much influenced by uh, Zoroastrism. He had studied Zoroastrism. And uh, uh, so he made a mixture of Zoroastrian religion of the Persians and uh, uh, the Greek religion of the Olympus. And Plethon, the settled in Mistras uh, uh, a city in Greece, in southern Greece, Mistras, where I have my, uh, my house uh, there, my summer house there, 
I like very much Mistras uh, because uh, in my third marriage, mm -hmm. I married a woman from Mistras. And I admire Mistras because Mistras mm. is the center of the Roman Empire after the fall of Constantinople. But you have to know the whole history of Mistras. Very important, Mistras. So, Clithon settled in Mistras. He died in a very old age, about 100 years of age, and he became the philosopher of Mistras. And uh, as he was uh, not a Christian, he was, he was part of uh, uh, the, uh, the sages around the emperor that uh, went to Florence. And there he was so much, the, the Italians were so much influenced by him, uh, let's say Cosimo uh, Medici, that was at the head of Florence. He was a banker. He was completely mad at, uh, he, uh, no mad, I mean, he was a, a big supporter of Plithon. And uh, he said, okay, I do everything for you. You are the, um, the most important uh, sage in the world. Etc. So he founded the academy, the Plato Academy in Florence, because the Plato Academy had been closed down in Athens when the emperors became Christian. So because the Plato Academy was uh, continuing to be of a Greek religion, it was closed in uh, Athens. And then it was reappeared uh, uh, in Florence, and it was Cosimo de Medici that uh, created it in favor in uh, for for Plithon to study to teach them. So Plithon brought with him uh, some uh, sages that were also non-Christian. For instance, one one of uh, his most important uh, students uh, was uh, a, a bishop, uh, an Orthodox bishop, and he became, uh, uh, he, he, he stopped being a Christian, and uh, he went with him to, to Rome, and uh, in order to have power, he even became, uh, uh, he became by the Pope, a Christian, uh, a um, Roman Christian, and he even wanted to become a, a pope, and he nearly became a pope. And so all these people that had stopped, they were between, at the, the end of uh, the uh, so-called Byzantine Empire, they had been completely under the yoke of the Germans, and uh, they were obliged to become Christian, uh, uh, Western Christians. They stopped being Christians at all. So they created what we call the Renaissance. That's why the Renaissance is based on so-called uh, that they were still Christian. They were not Christian. They were the beginning of, if you want, paganism. This is how the West stopped being Christian because the Renaissance was based on uh, Greek studies, on uh, the, the, that's why it's called the Renaissance, the Renaissance of uh, pre-Christian, pre-Christian. 
Uh, and who was the man that uh, created the Renaissance completely by himself? The West was created because the Renaissance is the creation of the West. There was no West before. So who, with the money of the Medici, created the West and say this planet, this uh, rather moon that went away from, uh, from the planet Greece, from Rome, was Pleasant. And so the um, Italians were so impressed by him. So look what they did. When Pleasant died in Mistras at the age of 100, about years of age, what happened? Wow. After the fall of Mistras in the hands of the Ottomans, after 1453, 1462, I think, something like that, uh, 61, 62, uh, the uh, prince of Rimini, uh, that was one of the big uh, admirers of Pleasan and of the Renaissance, he organized a, a military, a military uh, 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 organization to, to take over Mistras from the Ottomans. But he was not interested in Mistras. He didn't want to get back to, to get the city of Mistras. He wanted to take the bones of, uh, the bones of, uh, uh, of Pleasant. So he went to Misras with his army. He took the bones of Pleasan. He brought them back in Rimini, Italy, and he did a big cenotaph there in, the, in his church there. And there today, if you go to Rimini and you see the temple there, uh, he, 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 it is, the bones are there, the bones of Pleasan the man that created uh, the West, that created what we call today the West, the Renaissance. Yeah, it, it's incredible. Wow. And then even the Pope of Rome, who was in any case, as you know, a big criminal, the Borgia, oh, oh whatever the Borgia, if you can call that a Christian, in any case. And uh, even the, 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 the Pope said, ah, one second, uh, you exaggerate. You put the, the bones of a pagan, Pleasant, in a church. It's incredible what you do. <laughs> and this is what the Renaissance, the Renaissance is the beginning of what we know today, where all the West is not Christian anymore. As I am French, when I left France in 1970, still there were in churches, because I was going into Catholic churches too, there were still a lot of Christians in France. There is no one. Enter a Christian church in France, you'll find no one. The same in Canada. There's no, there's no Christian anymore. The Christianity has disappeared completely because of the Renaissance and because of Pleasant. And because Pleasant is in Rimini today, his bones are there. The, the famous pagan, if you want, is there. So now, Right. How is nationalism took over in Greece today? And they continue to say that they are the continuation of the Byzantine Empire because of nationalism. Uh, because 
the, uh, first they misunderstood was the Byzantine Empire was, let's say, the Roman Empire. They hate the Ottoman Empire that was a continuation of the Roman Empire. And uh, they, since 1821, they, the Westerners, when they occupied part of the Ottoman Empire, and first of all, the part that is today Greece, they reverted Greece to pagan and full nationalism. And uh, they said that was important is not the empire, it is the nation, nation state. And uh, so uh, the, um, uh, the Greeks today that are very national say that the West is just, yes, they say there's a planet, uh, a moon that came from us. It's one of my, our children, because the Greeks think that the whole planet, in any case, are the children of uh, Greeks. And uh, so there are some, yes, the West today for the Greek nationalists is, um, yes, it's, 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 a, it's a bastard. It's our child, yes. The, because all the West speak of Greece, ancient Greece, and because the uh, nations brought back uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the empire to ancient Greece. So they said, yes, it's Greece, but it's, you know, it's one of our ugliest children. But still it's our child. So we, be, we, we don't like the West. We, we, in fact, hate the West. All Greeks, they hate the West, but they need it because we are a colony of the West, of Brussels. So, but we hate them. But, so we say, yes, it's our child, children, but what you see how ugly this child is, uh, but still our child. Okay, that's the myth of, uh, of uh, nationalism today. And so I built up this idea right. of intermediate region. I said, look, up to me when I came, let's say, I was always hearing West and East, West and East, two civilizations, West, where does the middle of uh, these two civilizations, they said, ah, it is uh, East of Greece, Aegean Sea, the Bosphorus, that's the end of Europe, and even today when you go to Istanbul, uh, you cross uh, from Europe to Asia. Ridiculous, as a word to go. You just uh, change with a, a, a bridge, you go from Europe to... So I said, this is nonsense. It's not possible that there was only East and West. There's another civilization in between the West and the East. And this in between, and you have the map, well-known map, you can find that uh, Wikipedia and elsewhere, of the intermediate region. And this intermediate region is the civilization, called that the third civilization, between West and East, that is neither West nor East. And it's the civilization of the empire, of the Roman Empire. And uh, it starts at uh, the Adriatic Sea. We live, uh, we lost Italy, so whatever, because it became the West. So we start at the Adriatic Sea and we finish China, to China. So between the Adriatic Sea and China, we have one civilization, the civilization of the empire, the Roman Empire, with uh, capital Constantinople for 1,600 years, 1,600 years, 
Constantinople was the capital of the empire from the time of the Persians of Alexander the Great to 1923 AD. And uh, so it changed names, doesn't matter, Byzantium, Constantinople, Istanbul, which means the same thing. In any case, Istanbul, as you know, means, uh, in the Greek word means go to the city, Istanbul. So it's the same thing because right. all the Byzantines said, we are going to the city. There's no other city, the city. <clears throat> so this is what is called Istanbul. So I said, this is the center of the world. This third civilization, intermediate region, it's the Roman Empire. Now you can call it, it called also Ottoman, also the Turkish, it was called whatever you like, the empire. And this empire needs today to come back. And this is what we find here with um, Erdogan in Turkey that wants to recreate the empire, the Roman Empire. He calls it the Ottoman Empire, doesn't matter. It's the same thing. As you know, I'm a Turkologist also. I go to Turkey, I've taught in China, but in Turkey too, many times. And uh, my ideas are very much right. liked in Turkey. I'm considered a Turkophile, which means that uh, I'm a man of the empire, of the Roman empire. I even wrote a book that is a bestseller in Turkey that is called if you if you want, yeah. I can put it in the description so you can. If you send me a link, I can put it in the description well, so people can buy so a book. Many books, if they wish. About hundred books, so don't ask me. You can find in Wikipedia. You can find the list. If you look, Dimitri Gitsikis, right. you look at my books. I don't have to publicize my books. There are too many. I don't even know anymore. I've written thousands of articles. I mean, a hundred books, well, my goodness. Right. So, in any case, what I was saying is that one of my best sellers in Turkey, it was something, because the title is important. It says, the title says, Greek Turkish Empire. Let's uh, say that I call the Ottoman Empire the Greek Turkish Empire, because in fact, what Erdogan wants to do today is to rebuild the Roman Empire as Ottoman Empire, okay? And as a center, the center of it is today Greece and today Turkey. So I said, look, we cannot recreate as a historian, I know we cannot go back. So you cannot recreate the Roman Empire, but it's the Roman Empire that we want. So we can do it as a confederation of Greeks and Turks that were the, the two main people of the Roman Empire. Because don't forget that the so-called Turks, they were in the Roman Empire for a thousand years. They arrived in the 11th century in the so-called Byzantine Empire. They didn't come in 1453. They were already there 500 years before taking over Constantinople. And why did I think of a confederation? Because I'm Canadian too. And when I arrived in Canada in 1970, I found with the big astonishment that two people, two founding people, the, the French and the English, have succeeded in having a confederation. Canada is a confederation between the two founding people 
and our two national languages, official languages, is French and English. Even though it seems uh, very difficult, how can we know both languages from Vancouver to Halifax? Well, it's true. It is not easy. The whole people, at least the elite, you know that uh, to be a prime minister in Canada, if you are not French, you cannot. Or if you don't know French, you cannot. So take all the mm. uh, prime ministers of Canada, they are either French, born French, or they know French. If you don't know French, you cannot. So what my idea is, to recreate the Roman Empire as it is today, uh, to recreate it, you can call it Ottoman, you can call it Greek, you can whatever, it doesn't matter. A confederation of the two founding uh, nations, Greek and Turkish, and this is what present-day Erdogan is trying. That's why I support this, this idea of the, the West doesn't have an idea at all because they don't know what I'm saying now for them. It's completely foreign. They, they can't understand. So they say, oh, he's an imperialist. He wants to, to conquer the whole of Europe or whatever. No, he wants to come back to our empire. Okay, I think that's too much now. No, don't worry, it's fine. Um, at the end, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. And uh, I'm sorry for any mis misunderstanding with the connections. When and, will uh, I have If the you have anything you want to promote, me. if you... You send me a link. I will link you in, the, in okay. 10 minutes. And, uh, 10 to 20 minutes. We yes, I will. More or less what you wanted or what? Perfect. Well, Thank you very much. You. Uh, one day I will uh, have the pleasure to meet you. Sometimes, yes, me too. Not? We have to meet in Greece one time. Bye then. Bye then. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you very much. Five seconds. If you like this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Okay. And we'll see you next week. Thank you very much. This has been well that aged well. My name is Alan, my guest, Dimitri Kitsikis. Forgive me if I say that name wrong. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Have a good night. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.